0: From Glendale, California, this is Benstown VoiceOver Stories.
1: Conversations with people from in front of and behind the mic in the worlds of voiceover, radio imaging, and podcasting. Hosted by Lauren Kling.
0: Welcome to another episode of Benstown Stories. I'm Lauren Kling. This week's guest is Joe Cipriano. Joe has been the signature voice for some of the biggest networks, brands, TV shows, movies, and radio stations around the world. I'm sure you know the voice, but do you know anything about the man behind the voice? Before we get to that, let's hear some of his work.
1: Tonight, it's the biggest deal or no deal ever. Welcome to Hollywood Game Night. This is Toronto, Fresh 102.7. The fate of the world is in their hands. Something
2: happened to me. They just don't know it yet.
1: You're watching CBS 2 News, Chicago. From our family to yours, thanks for choosing Channel 4 News.
0: On this episode of Benstown Stories, I chat with Joe about his first job at WWCO in Waterbury, Connecticut at age 14, how he was two of three finalists for a job at a radio station in Washington, D.C., his decades-plus years as the voice of both the Fox and CBS TV networks, and co-writing a book with his wife, Anne, called Living on Air Adventures in Broadcasting. But first, we start the conversation with Joe contemplating walking off the show. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Ng.
1: You ready? Yep. Yeah. We've How long around. is the podcast usually? Like
0: an hour. We'll go forty-five okay. minutes between forty-five and an hour. Okay, so, or cool. Or whenever you're done. Uh huh. If you okay. get up and leave, I'm going to look at Alan. I'm be like, <laughs> it's like.
1: I guess we're done. I guess we're done. I want to I do that someday where I just take on my headphones and go. I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> just like you see on TV. Why? What? What do you think the <laughs> feeling is of doing that? It's that uh, you, having the balls to be able to <laughs> do that, like a Dustin Hoffman saying, "I'm done. I'm out of here." Yeah. you are not asking me these questions well we can come now. up with some questions yes well, <laughs> I, I will walk so, out i am walking out so let's go let's make that
0: the first question um uh have you ever walked off a job i cannot answer that. <laughs> uh i have have i ever walked off of a job either literally walked off or figuratively said you know what this job
1: doesn't work for me you know what? I think when I was in radio, first of all, and we would have to do commercial production, there were certain things that I would didn't want to put my voice on. There were things that I didn't believe in, like uh, there were some acting schools that were really just preying on young hopefuls. And we used to run spots for them at, at Kiss FM. And I never – I said, I'm not putting my voice on those kind of things. So that would be one thing. And I think that I probably would, in my voiceover career, would probably feel the same way. If I'm going to put my voice on something, I want it to be something that I would personally use myself or I would endorse. So I would be careful in that way. But to answer your question, I, I've never been put in that situation. I've never had to, you know, walk away from anything. And um, you know, a, a voiceover is <laughs> it's it's the it's the kind of thing where You know, you put yourself out there and you have these opportunities, which are auditions. And I think an audition is always an opportunity. And I love it. It's my favorite thing because it's it's the last time that you're going to be able to do something that is truly something that you've created, what you believe is right for the script, what you believe is the perspective before you get the job and then you're directed away from that or they say we would love to exactly what you what you did. But usually when you're in a session, you're collaborating with the uh the director and the producer and so forth and they're giving you input and I love that as well. But an audition is so special because it's the last time that it's truly you. You're and, self-directing. Exactly. Which yeah. is difficult for many many people and it's you know, come to the point now in voiceover because we're all in our own home studios that you have to self-direct uh, all the time. And and that is tough. And some people really beat themselves up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I, I've never done that. I, I, I read what the specs are on the uh, audition. And I look at the script and I go, okay, I see where they're going with that. Sometimes I agree. Sometimes I don't. But I always give what they're asking for. And then on the second take, I'll give what what I think, you know, should be done with this. And it might be a little bit different than the specs, but at least I'll put it on there. And right. and, and, and then I'll only do two takes or three takes, and then I'll walk away, maybe go out for a walk, uh, you know, go get a cup of coffee, come back 10 minutes later And then listen to the audition up on the speakers with fresh ears and different perspective. And it's amazing how it changes. And it's helpful, you know, rather than sitting there and beating yourself up and reading it over again and reading it over again when you're immersed in it and you really have no perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's that whole coming from the voiceover side as well. But being newer to that, I remember, I think I probably still beat myself up, but that idea of... What do they want? <laughs> yes. when it really should be, what do I want? because I am the I am selling a feeling mm-hmm. so that's probably the first thing there,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for you to put out there what you think is right for it and to give your own perspective uh, of it along with what you know they're looking for in the specs,
0: yeah. yeah. I will say that uh, getting into on-camera commercial work, which mm-hmm. is even a newer thing for me, really, enlightens me to a voiceover script. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You still have to see, you know, what's the feeling and who are you? Who are you
1: talking to? And Yeah. Uh, and I I think, yeah, there's a correlation there. And uh, on camera, um, and I could see your look really working in on camera. I mean, you would be more of a character type thing. right? I mean, you could play any number. You can guy next door, dad, young dad, you know, all of that, which... With a with a um, a character sort of look. Yeah, you know? I get yeah. that a lot. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but now that Joe said it, that is now going in the subject line of every email. <laughs> Dear Agent <laughs>
2: I could see you like that. That's the quote. <laughs> right, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Joe says. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: No, it won't just, just say that. No, no attribution at all. <laughs> all right. So we haven't even done the intro, but just like movies today, you could have
2: the title screen 10 minutes into the film. True. So I like that. Yeah. I've seen a lot of films like that lately where they just take... A middle section of the film, put it right up front. (laughs) Right. And then lead up to
0: it. Yeah.
1: And And then all of a sudden the titles come in. Right.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ben's Town Stories. As always, I'm here with Alan. Hello. Hello. And today our guest is Joe Cipriano. Happy to be here. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you, Lauren. Now, as a voice person who's often in your home studio Mm -hmm. you probably look for these
1: moments when you can go out into the world yes i actually i saw people today which was so fascinating yeah (laughs) you know in in la we're all in our small little areas you know you're okay i'm in North, north hollywood uh this person's in encino Uh, West uh, LA Santa Monica and you really don't travel much more than five miles especially in voiceover because you don't have to go into studios anymore and it's so beautiful here and the studios of Benstown are in this amazing Caruso development here with this mall that is so beautiful one of the Best malls. Yeah. Now, know. what
0: part of town are you, do you live in?
1: Right now, I'm living in Beverly Hills. Okay. We just recently moved, and um, and we also have a place in New York City, so we bounce back and forth. Uh, my wife, Ann, and I have a, a little granddaughter, so she's kind of changed our lives because our daughter and son-in-law and our granddaughter live in Brooklyn, so we want to be a part of their lives, her life, so we spend a month there and a month here. Oh, nice. And, okay. um so it's, it's pretty cool. So I have little studios tucked everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I'm sure you've done the hotel pillows. Oh, yes. I am. Uh, I call it the MacGyver Studio. And uh, whenever I post a photo, you know, it's funny when you post something on Twitter and you, you look at like the statue and go, oh, you know, 400 people saw that. You know, it's like, oh, well, that's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. But if I post a picture of one of the studios, my MacGyver Studios, and I always hashtag it, MacGyver. There's like thousands. And it's just, I think voiceover people are so fascinated with how do you do it and how do you do it? So, you know, my go-to is always, uh, I, I go into a hotel room and you do one of these things, check, 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 you know, where, where the Snapping echo your fingers yeah, and saying yeah, okay. where the echo is. Then right. you, you find like the corner and hopefully there's a desk or something there. And if not, you can move some stuff over. So I, then I go and I check in the closet to see if there is an ironing board and score. There's an ironing board. So go over to the desk, put a towel down, put an ironing board on top of the desk and then take a comforter. And sometimes you have to call down to housekeeping to get a second comforter, put it over the top. So what you're doing is you're making a tent, you know, right. And then you set up the microphone and you're in here and you get inside, you know, your little studio and it's like, Wow. This sounds really good, you know. Yeah. So I've done that. I've done backseat of cars. Ann and I will be on a drive to, you know, San Diego or up to uh, Santa Barbara. And I get a call from my agent that, you know, you have to do a session. And we'll pull over, kind of find a quiet spot. And um, I'll use my uh, iPhone to tether and um, go through using Source Connect or IPDTL or one of the other – uh, connectivity devices, you know, and I can connect up to the studio from the backseat of the car and do the session live. You wow. Know, from, and sometimes, you know, I'm working with somebody I don't work with often. They go, so where are you? And I go, oh, well, I'm, you know, like near Santa Barbara. Oh, he sounds good. What, what studio are you in? <laughs> uh, Chevy. I'm in <laughs> Chevys. Yeah. Oh, really? Sounds good.
0: It's yeah. It's amazing how quiet a car
1: can yeah. get, and I've I've done it in the car a couple times. I've done it in a car. Oh, well, you mean the studio. Yes. Y- yes. yes. <laughs> Hold on. Can we edit, <laughs> Alan? This is live to tape. Oh, good. Literally good, thank to tape. You, thank you. Yeah, we're not editing any of this. <laughs> I, I, I saw that big machine back there with the reels on it.
0: Yeah. So, do you, wow. You remember those. All right, so I have to ask you, because I think a lot of people this – because a lot of listeners are voice actors, but also radio people. Mm -hmm. And I am so excited hearing stories about being in love with radio. Yeah. And you were in love with radio as a Mm -hmm. kid.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So were you building them before you made that call to your local DJ in Waterbury?
1: Uh, You know, I didn't know how a, how radio was done. I mean, I was 14 years old. My mom uh, would listen to WWCO in Waterbury every morning. That was the top forty powerhouse, thousand watts daytime, two hundred fifty watts at night. So your light bulb on the side table, uh, you know, by your bed has more power than CO <laughs> right. had had at night. And um, so I didn't know a lot about it. And when I called my local DJ, I was fourteen years of age. I was really wanted to know w- how does this even work. I, I don't know how this works. And then I, because at one point I think probably around ten or eleven, when you hear a jingle, I thought they had a group of singers down there singing. You know, I I didn't know, and and so that's when I learned. Oh, okay, this is what it's all about. And then I did build a, a, a little radio studio in right. my bedroom. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I was I was going to say, is that the one with the <clears throat> excuse me the custom like wood, and all these old instruments that looked like it was HG
1: Wells. It looked like the time machine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was it was a, a, a piece of wood that I had found left over. My dad was a jack of all trades okay. and he could build things and he could do plumbing, he could do everything. And it was just a piece of wood that I had and was uh, and so I had a little mixer, audio mixer mm-hmm. and I cut holes in the board because I wanted the audio mixer was like you know about the size of your hand, you know but I wanted a big board. So I cut holes in it and I just stuck the mixer through the board (laughs) and I I got a VU meter and I put that in there. And so it was it was my first MacGyver studio, I guess. But, yeah, I wanted to look like the big time. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, would you spend hours in there? I would. I even enlisted uh, my my friend uh, Bill Lombardi uh, from high school and my cousin Pete Simons. And we had three shifts. Uh, We'd get off school. I think we were. Freshman or sophomore in high school, and I would do you know three to six, and then Bill and Barney would do six to eight, and my cousin would do eight to ten. You know, Wait, on my little
0: <laughs> was this to tape, or was this Is actually the real, real or... or were you
1: actually going? We would tape ourselves, but okay. it was a little transmitter, it was an AM transmitter, <laughs> okay. that you can get from a company called Lafayette uh, Electronics. What was and the it... range? The range was from me to you. <laughs> but yeah. what, I, what I did do is, um, you know, you, you can have an antenna come off of it. Right. So I had this unbelievably long uh, coil of wire that, again, I had found in my dad's um, workshop. And, I, and we had a brook in our backyard. And I took it out the window into the backyard and then let it follow the brook all the way down, like about six houses down So they really could hear us (laughs) six hours. And I'd call, you know, on the old phone. And I'd call a friend and say, hey, we're on the air now. Listen to us. We're at 1600 (laughs) a.m. Turn us on. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm.
0: I didn't know uh, until one day I plugged my dad's old big headphones uh, I think they were Radio Shacks, into the microphone connection, the quarter inch, and you could talk. talk into, into, your, yeah. into the
2: – Yes. That's how I did it when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> and I used to record, and I, because I grew up That's in LA, good. Yeah. I would record Power 106 and Kiss FM. Wow. And uh, K Rock, and then I'd use my dad's vinyl. Oh, and I my would God. Just... You were way ahead. Yeah. yeah.
1: You were doing uh, Vinyl Wednesdays or whatever. It, it turntable was... Tuesdays.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. It was. <laughs> right. Before Taco Tuesdays, it was Turntable <laughs> <laughs> Tuesdays. But
1: I have a station that I do imaging for. They do uh, Turntable Tuesdays. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah.
0: Um, and what's funny is I actually had to use that again for an event a couple months ago they said the microphone's not working oh
1: my gosh and
0: i said oh wait can i use these headphones <laughs> and i plugged it in and it worked
1: let's do it right now i want to plug in your <laughs> headphones i want to hear you talking through your headphones do you think uh do you think a lot of people who who want to be dj's
0: have that macgyver mentality want to build things I,
1: I think you know you you've, you see a lot well you've been in radio you see a lot of different types that come into radio but I think most of them, and, and, and interestingly enough, in, into voiceover, I'm amazed at how many voiceover people uh, today and in, in the past 15 years also have that kind of radio, kind of they're into the technology, you know, they, they know about the microphones, they know about the processing. And when I came up in voiceover in, you know, I started uh, early 80s, you know, here in L.A., um, I was already in the union. I'm already SAG after then because I was in radio in big market stations. So there was no such thing as non-union work for us as voiceover people. You're always going after union work. And you would show up to a studio much like yours and and you would go into the booth and the mixer would come and set the microphone for you and make sure it's pointed at your mouth and, and, you know, you give a level and you didn't have to know all of my contemporaries from the 80s. Uh, all the way up, you know, into the 2000s, the voiceover people really didn't know anything about the technology of it unless they had maybe a radio background. If they were coming from an acting background, they didn't, they didn't know. And right. uh, so the, the people that are in voiceover now and who are successful in voiceover and have been for the past 15 years and people that are coming up now actually have to know all that. They have to know what microphone works with them. What, do you, what kind of a preamp do you have? Uh, headphones uh, compression what do i do you know with equalization all of this information that we as voiceover people back in the 80s and 90s and before you didn't have to know any of it yeah uh WWCO yes. or twelve forty Super 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 C O Super C O. Yes. Was a Merv Griffin station. A Merv Griffin station. Dun, da, da. <laughs> that
0: jingles, was our top of the hour. Jingles will never go away. <laughs> did you get to meet Merv?
1: I did. I got to meet Merv, and I got to meet him later in life here in Hollywood to and told him that I worked at uh WWCO. And um he was very generous and sweet and he you know he he was like wow really that that's amazing but yeah my first paycheck in radio um I think I was getting a dollar 25 an hour and I did uh my first shift was a Sunday night on the FM which wasn't a big deal because nobody listened to FM anyhow you know right'll listen to FM and um I think I worked three hours so I got three dollars and75 cents that was my first paycheck in wow radio, 1971. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Now you also were known as Tom, was were you Tom Collins, <laughs> yes. the drink, the drink.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I called myself the real Tom Collins. Yeah, ah. Yeah. Um. I was looking for a name. I had been on my little radio station at home. I'd been Joe Davis. I'd been Dave Lewis. Um, I'd been a couple of different names. Never would use Cipriano because who would ever use Cipriano on the radio? You want like a cool name, Jim Scott. You know, Dan Donovan, you know, things that Dallas Raines, (laughs)
2: Ritz (laughs) Coleman.
1: And so I was searching for a name. I really wanted a radio name. And I searched everywhere. I even opened up textbooks from school, which I never had done before. And, you know, just looking for any inspiration. And one Sunday morning, I happened to be looking in the Waterbury Republican Uh, american newspaper and in the obituary section this poor fellow thomas collins had passed away and i looked at it and went whoa that's great tom collins i'm gonna be tom collins great he didn't need the name anymore no he didn't (laughs) and
2: And that's that's how identity theft all (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: That's how i first got into identity theft. started with joe cipriano so you've worked at some amazing stations you worked at: Kiss FM here in Los Angeles, KKHR, KHTZ. Uh, but I killed all. They're all gone. <laughs> they're yeah. All gone. Um, but also, you were in Washington, Q107, mm-hmm. Q107, and yeah. then uh, Hartford. You were at WDRC, the Big D, and then you started at WWCO. Yeah. Would you call Waterbury a small, small yes, market station? It was very,
1: very small. I would say it was probably about. 180th, you know, in the country. You can we probably look it up. It was a big deal when I, I got the opportunity to work at WDRC. Uh, I was just out of high school, so I was doing afternoon drive on CO, and then I would do fill-ins on DRC in Hartford, which was the big time because you had board ops and, you know, that whole thing. It was like, wow, this is amazing. The studios were in the shape of a D. Mm-hmm. You had the AM on the top of the the D, the – FM on the bottom, and the engineer would be where the round part wow. of the D is, capital D. Um, got
0: it. Yeah. Yes, not a spot D. And,
1: <laughs> and again, another name uh, a problem there. When I got the call from Charlie Parker, who was legendary program director of WDRC, he said, Hey, kid, hey, you had this voice like this. Hey, kid, uh, you ready? Are you ready for the big D? And it was like 11 o'clock at night on a weeknight. And I had been up there. You know, they used to do live auditions at DRC. You would get the opportunity to go up. You would sit with a board op in a production studio. They would give you, um, you know, the like a playlist of songs, and they would have the jingles, and you do a half hour show in the production room, and that was your audition. And I had done two of those, and I, I, you know, Charlie gave some notes on them, and I never nothing happened. But they were really stuck because the overnight guy. Uh, was uh, had laryngitis, and he had showed up, and he couldn't even eke out a word. They had nobody. So Charlie said, oh, I remember this kid. I'll, I'll bring him up. And so he called me at home. I was living living with my parents. I mean, I was 17. And uh, he said, uh, so, you uh, can't use Tom Collins here, so what name are you going to use? And I was like, I don't know. So it took a half hour to drive up there, and on the drive, I'm thinking about, "Well, oh, what do I want to call myself you know I can't be Tom Collins I I love Dearborn was it Dave Dearborn uh, uh, from uh, Detroit and uh, Dan Donovan at um, um, in Philadelphia and I thought Dave Donovan Dave I was going to be Dave Dearborn Dave Donovan I decided on a Dave Donovan so I got up there and he (laughs) Charlie was on the phone so what's it going to be I said (laughs) Dave Donovan he goes good name that's good so I went on the air (laughs) And uh, the guy who did the overnights was, was sitting there in the, in the studio with me, and I got a little cocky about a half uh, half hour into it as Dave Donovan, and I came out of a song, and I was introing a song, and uh, I said, WDRC, Dave Dearborn here, and I, I gave the wrong name, you know, and he was eating a sandwich at the time and spit it out all over the place, yeah. But Dave Donovan was the name at at DRC.
0: I've been reading a lot about some opportunities you've had because somebody's been sick Mm. or went on vacation Mm. mysteriously or Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing to do with it (laughs) or moved on to television. Didn't you take over for an unknown DJ? Wow. Good for you. That's that's really good, Lauren. Yeah. I uh, when I got the opportunity to go to uh, Washington, D.C., and again, I was 19 years old by then. And a quick story, I, they were looking, you know, they had a a, a listing in R R Radio and Records that they were looking for jocks at WRC Washington, big time eighth eighth market in the country. I sent them my tape from WWCO, and I actually got a call from them, and they said, "Hey, we really like this this air check, but do you have something that shows a little bit more personality radio? You know, you're talking, you're in a tight format." I go, yeah, I work at DRC. I'll, I'll send you that tape. I send him the Dave Donovan tape. And I got a call like about three weeks later at, at CO um, saying, uh, Tom, uh, y- yeah, uh, Gordon Peel here from WRC in uh, Washington. Uh, loved your tape. I just want to let you know that we've narrowed it down to uh, three applicants, and you're one of them. Congratulations. We may <laughs> want to have you come in. I was like, wow, this was – I was blown away, and about a half hour later, I get a call from one of the receptionists at DRC in Hartford, and said, uh, "Dave, you had a call here from WRC in Washington." And I thought, oh, "Wow, now they're looking for me. Maybe they really want me to." They thought I was up at DRC, and I called um, the number they gave me, and Gordon answered. I goes, "Gordon, uh, you left a message for me also at WDRC." He goes, "WDRC, Dave Donovan, right? <laughs> uh, yeah." Dave Gordon Peel here. Just want to let you know that we loved your tape and want you to know that we've narrowed it down to two people and you're one of three people and you're one of them. I go, yeah, I just talked to you from. No, we haven't talked to you before. Yes. You called me at CO, where I'm Tom Collins. You're Tom Collins and Dave Donovan. Well, you're two of the three people. And I found out later that they had arguments with their consultant, Bob Henneberry, who was better. Tom or Dave. Wow. Yeah. And um, did so, yeah, the third I got the
0: person bit. have a chance at all?
1: His name was Rick Dees. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> don't know if he ever made it. Um, was
0: it really Rick? No. Uh, but. Was it wasn't okay.
1: <laughs> but uh, the, what you're alluding to is when I got to NBC, uh, they said, well, You're going to be doing middays on the FM and go in with the guy who's on the air now. He's moving off the TV. So I went in there, and uh, this guy uh, who was on the air turned around and big, big guy. And I put out my hand, you know, to shake, shake his hand. And he pushed my hand away and he grabbed me and he lifted me off the ground and gave me a big bear hug and a kiss on my forehead. And it was Willard Scott, uh, who then became very famous at NBC and uh, the weatherman for uh, the Today Show, you know. So he was going off to TV from radio. So I spent a week with Willard uh, learning, you know, the format and, and how to do that.
0: And then later on, we're going to jump to Fox Television. That was another way that you bumped off. I mean, that's. Uh...
1: <laughs> and another, you know, uh, thanks to radio, I got how I got that job. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, we have a lot of people out in the Midwest mm-hmm. and the North and the South who aren't in major markets. Do you think it's easier, more difficult for them? Do you think everyone's trying to get to the big cities or are some people happy
1: and are you speaking about radio or about voiceover let's start with radio because it seems like it's two different stories we can talk about my you know my inclination is I think most people that are are, are getting into radio I think that they do have that ambition and they do want to make it to the bigs you know uh, and maybe they want to get into a, a larger market I know I always did um, but in voiceover, I think that uh, it's not necessary anymore. When, when I decided we were in Washington, D.C., and I met my wife, I met Anne at NBC. Mm-hmm. She was a news writer. Um, I met her on her first day. I happened to be in the hallway, and she looked lost, and I escorted her to the news director. When I was in Washington, D.C., and I decided that I wanted to get into voiceover, but, I mean, in a big way, you know, wanted to do national commercials and national stuff, Um, you had to be in New York or Los Angeles. So um, Ann and I took a trip. We went to New York. We spent like uh, six days in New York. We stayed at the Plaza Hotel. We then came out to L.A. and spent six days out here. And we stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel because I was pushing for for L.A. I tried. I, we rented a Mercedes convertible. Wow. You know, I did everything to make L.A. work, and and it did. So, but for voiceover, you had to travel. Uh, to you had to move. You had to go. If I wanted to do promos for networks, you had to live in Los Angeles. Nowadays, if you want to do voiceover, you can start anywhere and not only start anywhere you can move into the biggest of the big you could be a movie trailer voice you can be a network voice and you could still live in your hometown because of the connectivity that we have because we can use ISDN which is now you know going away and you can use all the IP connectivity right. source connect and IPTTL you can do it anywhere um i think if you want to do the really really big stuff you just have to have representation that uh, deals with the networks, um, the big producers, the big ad agencies. So you just need representation that might be in New York or L.A., but as the talent, you can be anywhere. Got it. Yeah. Um, So that's one of the things
0: you talked earlier about doing doing work in a hotel room, (laughs) the back of a car, pulling over to the side. Is there a line as far as either vacation or personal time, uh, where you're
1: like, you know what, I'm going to unplug? Mm-hmm. It's weird. I I, I do. Um, I, I always work no matter where I am. But I, I won't work all day long. Uh, I'll say to my agent, you know, there are certain things that um, we, we have to do. If it's a CBS promo and I'm the voice of the show, well, you have to do that. If you don't, they have to get somebody else to do it. And I think that more than about losing the gig, it's – if they're going to make – if somebody makes a commitment to you like CBS or Fox or uh, NBC that you're the voice of this show, you have to be available for that. They're paying you very well to do it, and you just can't say all of a sudden, mm, I'm not available today, you know, and then they have to find somebody up find somebody else that messes up their brand and, and all of that. So you you have to have that commitment. If they're going to commit to you in some way to say you're the voice, you have to be there for them. So those gigs I will do no matter where I am, you know. Uh, but I can, there are other jobs where I can say, you know, um, we're going to take a week off, a lot of my radio imaging stuff, um, some of the other, um, like, local TV affiliates that I do, some um, like cable networks where – it's not so imperative that you have it's day of and it has to be done. I'm able to take that off. So I do take uh, time off, but I learned early on to be careful with that. I'll never forget, uh, I was at CBS as just a we had just moved to LA and somehow I, I met this guy who was a producer in promos at CBS and I told him, That's what I moved out here to do. I, I don't even know how you do it. It's kind of like what I did with. The disc jockey in in Waterbury, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how radio worked. I didn't know how promos worked. Can I come in and just sit in the corner? And that was my education. I got to see how promos were done, how they were voiced. And one of the voices was Mark Elliott, who was also a a pretty famous radio guy. He used to work at KHJ, and Mm -hmm. he was the comedy voice of CBS in the early 80s. And um, he knew me from radio. I was at KHTZ, K-Hits at the time. And he said, let me just tell you something about promo and about voiceover. First of all, never buy a house based on voiceover (laughs) income. Secondly, don't ever take a vacation. And it's just scared the hell out of me, you know. Why do I even want to do this, you know? But then it led to a story that you were alluding to when I got the Fox gig. Yeah, talk about that. Which was really because the guy who had it wanted to take a vacation. And he's not of the mindset of Mark Elliott or myself and thought, I'm taking two weeks off. And they said, what do you mean you're taking two weeks off? We need you. You're the voice of this, this, that, and this. Said, I don't care. You know, I'm taking two weeks off. Well, because he took a vacation, they were stranded. They were, they were stuck. And these promos have to be done. And I was on the air at Kiss FM filling in for Big Ron O'Brien in the afternoon, 2 to 6, And uh, wasn't even supposed to be on the air that day. And the uh, head of uh, marketing, VP of promos, was driving home um, from Fox and going to Simi Valley, which is a pretty long drive, you know, and it was rush hour, evening rush hour. And he was just stuck. And um, he's rolling over this problem of what he's going to do. Where is he going to find a voice? And, of course, he had asked agents to send in tapes and things like that. So in his car, his only companion was me on the radio. And so as the drive was going on, he's listening and he's like, hmm, well, this voice is really good. Uh, this guy could work. And then this was 1988, and August of 88, and he picked up his brick of a cell phone. Right. <laughs> and doot, doot, deet, doot, deet, doot, and called Kiss FM and uh, got the receptionist. I remember her buzzing me in the studio saying – this guy is, wants to talk about you doing a voiceover. And I was like, whoa, oh, yeah, give him my agent, you know, and, and uh, this might be cool, you know. And it was Fox, and they brought me in to do one promo. And then they brought me in to do another promo. And over the course of those two weeks, I ended up being the voice of the Fox network, being the voice of all the comedies on the network. And, and a job that I held from 1988 until about 2005 or six as the only, just me and Don LaFontaine. Right. Don was dramas and I was comedy. That's amazing. Yeah.
2: And this is like the early days of Fox.
1: Yeah, Fox yeah. had just come on the air at the end of 87, and they were really struggling, and nobody believed that the fourth network could make it. And I remember when I got the job, somebody saying to me, don't get too excited about this, because it was August, and by December they were going to go belly up. And, and Fox wouldn't be around anymore. They were spending money. It was just going out, you know, like um, leaky sieve, you know. And uh, what happened was uh, Murdoch bought the NFL rights, stole them from CBS, paid a ridiculous amount of money that everybody said that'll never, you know, he'll die. He'll never get that money back. But it's what kept fox going and put it on the map and then a little show called the simpsons came along and then a little one yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you
0: think your time in radio and and getting fired in radio as all dj seem to do do you think that kind of gave you the mindset of i need to be available for these companies
1: yeah i think so i uh, i think that uh you know with radio you know, you you have a set thing. You have two weeks or three weeks a year, and and you know you you can take time off. And I was uh, listen. I'm the kind of person that's very loyal to whomever I'm I'm working for with you know whatever. Um, you know, I, I really take that seriously. And uh, I, I like I said, I, if somebody's making a commitment to you, I make the commitment back. You know, I don't think everybody thinks that way, but I was always really proud. To be the afternoon drive guy at Q one o seven in Washington D.C. and you know the whatever middays at KKHR in Los Angeles, you know I was proud to do that, and I feel that same way in um, you know in voiceover as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted
0: to mention a quote that you had said in your <laughs> book, and we're going to talk about Uh-oh. that. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. The book is called, by the way, Living on Air Adventures in Broadcasting. Yes. You wrote it with your wife,
1: Anne. Uh, yeah. Anne and I, we we spent about three years on it because, you know, you pick it up and then it goes away. And I remember we started in uh, the end of 2008, I think it was, and uh, I, our, I had said a uh, – a deadline of February 14th, 2009, that we were going to be done, we we would have written the book. And we finally finished it up in the summer of 2013. But, yeah. Wait, was that a Valentine's gift that you were <laughs> it was sure? Right, exactly. As <laughs> soon as we're done
0: with the book, we're going to go grab dinner. Right, exactly. But dinner was a little delayed. And it
1: was just a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and but who, yeah. Did the audiobook? who did the audio book? Who did the audio <laughs> book? Well, you know, we searched – uh, far and wide, and, and then realized that it, the cheapest guy was me. Were so.
0: you two of the three finalists? <laughs> I was two of the three. Hello, uh, we're looking for Tom yes. Collins. He's a finalist for this audio book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, doing an audiobook is that's a lot of freaking work, I'll tell you. I loved it because I was telling my story, and I wanted it to be something different. I wanted it to be more of a, kind of like a radio play. Mm-hmm. A lot of We have a lot of original music in it, um, a lot of sound effects. Uh, people that were in my life, in my radio career, I went back and I got them. And stories that Ann and I had written, uh, recreated those for the audiobook. So Alan Burns, who was my program director at Q107, he's in the book. Uh, Uncle Johnny, Paul Mashaud, who I worked with, as Johnny Walker. He was Johnny Walker. I was Tom Collins. Okay, you know he's in the book. Um, the program directors, um, friends, my best friend John Lloyd, uh, he's in the book. So in the audio book, so I, I got everybody to um, recreate. You know, that's, yeah, their that, audio bits. That's amazing because
0: for me, audio books have usually just. If if it's a, a, a fiction, mm-hmm. one person reading the whole story, exactly. But yeah. I I love I love Tom Bergeron's book.
1: Yes, me too. Hearing his story because yep.
0: he grew up out there,
1: right? He did. And Tom wrote a really wonderful blurb for our book, um, which is on the the back of the book. And um, he was so kind in in that. And um, yeah, he was a, a New England guy. It's funny that he and I never uh, kind of cross paths. we we're, we're about the same age. Um same career, his went, you know, into where he is. I always dreamed of being on air, uh, on camera, um, and I, I had some, you know, of that. Right, you had night and day that TV series. I did, yes, <laughs> wow, yeah, on NBC. Mm-hmm. There was, a, it was about a radio station in San Diego, and so I played uh, the morning guy, Marty of the morning, and whatever the <laughs> name of the station was. Yeah, how
0: but, was it being on camera? Did you did you f- Fit in well did was it did you find
1: it challenging uh, I I loved it and I've done some on-camera national uh, commercials Prego spaghetti sauce is one of them and and some locals and regionals um, but doing getting that um, job with uh, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gantz, who are prolific you know city si- slickers, city slickers Parenthood, yeah. Parenthood I mean you know when I got that I thought holy cow. I think this is going to be a career change. I I might be a sitcom actor, you know, and it was a good people were in it. And um, it was amazing, but it was not one of their (laughs) wasn't one of their hits. I happened to hit one of their clunkers, you know, and um, but it was a thrill, you know, to be able to do that, um, go through the process of, you know, the um, rehearsals and the blocking and then uh, shooting the show in front of a studio audience and, and, and doing all of that. We did it at Hollywood Center here in, in, uh, in Hollywood. And it was a thrill. You know, it was really great. But the show didn't last. And we were on NBC after Cosby, you know, at the time, which was like a sweetheart kind of deal. You right. Know? And uh, but still, it, it just didn't. Didn't happen. I think we did six episodes, and that was it. Yeah,
0: but you know what? Your path would have taken a it a would have. Different yes, turn.
1: I would have been a wealthy on camera guy at this time. Are you thinking you would have been like the sixth friend? <laughs> I Could have been if only. I could have been. Well, I could have been one of the friend's grandfathers. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: didn't they have a whole bunch of actors come in? Uh, was Alec Baldwin one of the dads? One of the dads. Yeah. Uh, or who was it? Elliot Gould was he Elliot. a dad?
1: Somebody He's with. everybody's dad. Yes, he I think is. Elliot Gould Should is be.
0: known in his later TV career as oh, everyone's dad. Da- everyone's <laughs> dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's between Mr. Gould and <laughs> Mr. Collins. <laughs> Mr. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Donovan. <laughs> Painting Dr. Donovan. Okay, now I'm getting into Three Stooges. <laughs> All right, back to the book. Uh, you had said, I learned that trying to sound like someone else because they work a lot in voiceover or because you like their voice doesn't work. It's when you trust your own talents. And just simply become yourself that you begin to open up possibilities. Mm-hmm. Living, having lived through that idea of how do I how do I be comfortable in my shoes?
1: Mm-hmm. Is there a magic answer? What what it is, is that you you finally have to get to a point because everybody emulates somebody else. I think you even did it in radio, you know, I and and also in voiceover. But it's – you're not really, really going to get anywhere until you tap into who you are, okay? So that – the tipping point is when you finally start to trust yourself and you start to trust that you do have something that's different. And the real thing that puts you over the top is confidence. As soon as you're able to achieve the confidence that I can do this, that's when everything is going to change for you, certainly in voiceover. And the reason why I say that you have to be yourself is because, quite simply, nobody else is doing that. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a a field like this where there are so many people that are going for the same gig that you're going for or a genre or whatever, um, the only way that you can stand out is when you're uniquely yourself because nobody else is doing that. So if nobody else is doing it, then you have to understand that – Okay, that's going to give me some confidence that I can do this and I can, you know, propel myself forward in this career being myself. So that's right. that's the big – that's the big aha moment, I think, right. in and I There's a level
2: of uh, it being scary because what yeah. if I'm not – you know, what if I'm not what people want?
1: Yeah, it, and exactly. And that's why you have to trust trust yourself and, and uh, obtain that confidence, you know, in doing that, because if not, you're just going to be kind of like a second banana to he sounds like uh, him. She sounds like her or whatever, rather than if you want to have, you know, you know, hit the the the, the highest point that you can. It's going to come because it's coming from you, uniquely you. You know, when I always liken it to, you know, uh, I remember reading Arnold Palmer's book. And and every golfer, I think, when they are over the top of a putt, any of these guys that you see, I was just watching this weekend, you know, the Valpar um, golf tournament. When those guys are over a putt, they are 100% sure it's going in. There's no – doubt in their mind. Now, they may miss, but at the time that they're over it and they're addressing the ball, they know in their bones that that ball is going in. They trust themselves. They have the confidence. And in Arnold Palmer's book, as he got older, he talked about the time when it it stuck in his mind that he was standing over a putt and a thought came into his head that had never come into his head before that he might miss this putt. And that's when he knew that he was getting towards the end of his career. Wow. So you have to have that that confidence that you know.
0: Right. But different than the cocky confidence that a lot yes. of us have at, in our early 20s.
1: Yeah, cocky is not going to work for you. <laughs>
0: but doesn't it also require get through that? Learn to, sure. to understand the cockiness and take what works from that?
1: I think so. I think it's all part of, okay, I'm going to, I want to sound like this person and maybe I can get work if I sound like this. And maybe you are a little bit cocky and you're, you, you know, you over, (laughs) oversell yourself and maybe things that you can't do, but, you know, sometimes, you know, cockiness gets in your way because you're not able to get in touch with what you really can do. And you can obviously put people off very easily, you know? There used to be a time in voiceover, guys like Ernie Anderson, you know, the voice of ABC, right. the Love Boat, you know, and all of that. Now talk about cocky and and just he was everything, you know yeah. he um, he 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 ruled that studio and um, put a lot of people off, but it was like he had this amazing voice and he was the voice of ABC and they everybody. Went along with it, you know, in those days, I've seen voiceover people, let's go back to the early 90s, I know voice people who tried to be that, who were promo voices at networks, and they wanted to be like that. They wanted to have that cocky kind of attitude, hey, are you doing, you know, this thing, and I'm not available. No, you want me a two, I can't make it a two, I I can get in maybe around five, And and it didn't work, it doesn't work anymore. So now it's all about working together. Mm-hmm. It's all about working towards, you know, what's the end product. And because there are so many people that are doing it, and you know what? The level of talent has risen. It's just amazing. And we were talking about anybody anywhere in the country, in the world, can do voiceover at a very high level. That that talent pool is huge now. And people are taking classes and understanding that if you want to move your career forward, you have to work with coaches and you have to take these steps. And that's why the level of talent I think is probably the best it's ever been. I yeah. think it's also collaboration
2: and also being able to take direction to be able to not, you know, the cockiness is saying, uh, I, this is
1: how it should be. Done. This is the way it should be done. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, you have to be, listen, I said earlier with an audition, you do what the uh, specs are, but, but then you also do what you think. And if you are in a situation like that and you're being directed, I always listen to the direction and I try to do it. And you know what? Sometimes, many times, I'm like, wow, I would have never thought of doing it that way. And then you hear the finished version and you go, wow, you know, thank God for that direction. That brought me to an area I didn't even know that I could do. But conversely, while you're in that session and while you're being directed like that, I always say at the end of it, you know what? Can I do one more take? I just have an idea. I just... Would it be okay? Of course. Yeah, go right ahead. Sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they go through the same thing that I was just talking about, like, whoa, I never thought about that. That's really good. And let's do another one like that, you know? And so it is, goes to the C word collaboration. All right. So you were on the
0: web early. Your first site was in 1996, it was Postcards from Cyberspace. Welcome to Joseph <laughs> Riano's Beach Party. Oh my
1: God! And How you did, have, did you do one of those? You can go back in time. Did yeah, way you, back. You do that way back. When she the way back said. thing.
0: Oh no, no, no! I really can't go back in time. <laughs> I love like you love radio as yeah. a kid. I love time travel. Time travel is so good. I yeah. go back in time. Well, he
2: loves old websites. <laughs> <laughs> That's my. He still has a GeoCities and Angel Fire account.
1: Know.
2: <laughs> Still on MySpace, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but and then uh, I have to ask, what this is? That's cool. February nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. See Joe in the film in Love's Time. <laughs> what is this? All I could get was a picture really? of two people kissing, and I said, "Is is
1: that Anne? Is that Joe? I don't know. It was just <laughs> in Love's Time." Uh, my friend Brett Wynn. Mm-hmm. Brett Wynn now is the one of the owners of a um, ad agency uh, called the Refinery. Uh, oh, okay. and uh, they do movie trailers and uh, promos. And I met Brett when he moved here out of college. Uh, he came to Los Angeles, got a job as a room producer at Fox. and uh, we've in fact, we're having dinner him he and his wife Pam and Anna and I next week. And uh, we've been very good friends ever since. And um, Brett had a movie out – this is after In Love's Time – called My Date With Drew, which was a a movie that they shot on uh, a camera that they got from Best Buy. (laughs) And it was kind of documentary style. And um, Best Buy at the time had a a deal where you can buy anything. You had 30 days to return it. Mm -hmm. They had no money, so they shot the whole movie in 30 days (laughs) and then returned the movie, the camera. Um, But In Love's Time was just a a thing that uh, Brett had written – and he wanted to turn it into a short. And my nephew Zev is one of the leads in it. He's probably the one kissing. Okay. And uh, I played. Uh, I played what Brett is now, the owner of an ad agency, and his wife who are having a party. And so um, it was just a. Um, I wouldn't say that it was a college thing. It was a little independent right. thing okay. that he did send out to, um, um, to you know, competition and things Got like it. that. Um, but It was a cute little. All right, Brad. Little I think movie. it's time to digitize it and post it online. <laughs> it is around, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, uh, my date with Drew, I think, just celebrated a either a twenty year anniversary or something like that, and they ran it uh, in one of the theaters at Century City and um, had a you know wow a, a big party and all of
0: that. All right, let's really talk fun. about those things because as we get older. Our, our history, there is a growing amount of history, and you were the voice. I'm still amazed by the beach party thing. Yeah. From, oh, my God. That was my, my first website. You were the voice for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yes. Also Porky's 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 Two Bachelor Party. Two. All the right moves. Okay. Porky's two
1: the next day. Oh. Fast <laughs> oh. Times at Ridgemont High. You were, br- oh, memories.
0: you were bringing me back to the UA Theater in Thousand Oaks. Wow. Where tickets were probably 450. <laughs> yes. Uh and the I'm sure the seats with the gums still attached to the yes. are still there. Mm. So Real, real quickly, talk about
1: that time. Did you feel like you were voicing a generation? Uh, at the time, I didn't uh, realize what was going on, but it was. There were some of my really big gigs that I had just gotten. That was eighty two. So Ann and I moved out here in December of nineteen eighty. My first night on the air was December eighth, nineteen eighty, and the. Uh, UPI machine went nuts, and I went to look at it and ripped the wire copy, and John Lennon had just been killed. And that was my first night on the air. Wow. So that was December of 1980. Uh, Fast Times was 82. So uh, within two years, all of a sudden, I was scoring little things here and there. But um, this guy, Jim Gibbons, who had a company called Flamingo Flamingo Films, uh, was kind of like a brat. Uh, He was an ad agency and uh, heard me on the radio. And called me into audition for Fast Time, uh, Fast Times, and um, I did the radio, the TV spots, and the movie trailers for it. And it was like a huge gig for me. Yeah, it was all union. And I remember I had a little Alfa Romeo Spider <laughs> that Ann and I had brought here from um, DC, and I refurbished the whole car off of that money. And, wow. you know, and had and more to 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 save, you know. But yeah, and then that went into Bachelor Party and Porky's and All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise. And there were all these movies that were kind of like the teen movies of the early 1980s. And I was getting to do a lot of them. And it's interesting to see how marketing has changed, you know, over the years. But at that time, they wanted a guy who sounded young, who – Kind of sounded like a disc jockey, really. I mean, if you listen to those things, they're, they're pretty much straightforward and um, just high energy, fun. And, uh, you know, I did, I don't know, this movie called Rippin', which were about kids on skateboards. I mean, it was just all these teen movies that, you know, it was pretty awesome. It was yeah. pretty cool to do that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
0: All right. So you were able to refurbish your Alfa Romeo. Yes. Which brings me to 2005. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry <laughs> With, I can't wait when you <laughs> stepped out of your house, I recall it uh, precisely, and what? yeah, this is like you two thousand five okay two thousand and five you
0: said you lost three quarters of your income oh my when <laughs>
1: when everyone thought you had everything yeah, so that t- that was a lesson that was a lesson in uh understanding that you have to diversify. And, you know, I, I had been the voice of Fox for, well, by then. It started in 88, and that was 2005. I was still working with Fox. In 97, I had started at CBS in the same capacity, all the comedies. So I was doing all the comedies at Fox, all the comedies at CBS at the same time, which I can't believe that Fox allowed me to do that. I can't believe that CBS didn't care. But it was really because Don LaFontaine was the voice of everything And he kind of led the way. And John did all the networks. So it it worked, you know. But um, so I got comfortable. Uh, I started doing fewer radio imaging jobs. I thought, you know, this promo thing is pretty cool. Maybe I got a little cocky. I don't know. Mm. But I certainly got a little overconfident in that, thinking that this will go on forever, you know. And it was great uh, working both. And so I stopped moving my career forward. I stopped looking for new opportunities, and I just did what I did. And then suddenly something happened, uh, but didn't go right. uh, And um, CBS decided, you know, we're going to make a change. And so that was almost three quarters of my income by then because I was towards the end of the Fox thing Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing everything there. And so that was a huge blow and uh, But again, it, it uh, propelled me to uh, start reinventing myself and that happened and within six months and maybe even less, I was hired by NBC to be the voice of all their dramas and dramas were nothing I'd ever done before. I was only known for high energy comedies. But I had heard that NBC was looking for a drama voice. And so I went into my studio and I created a demo of me doing drama. And after I did it, I I called my agent and I said, I want you to hear this drama demo. And she actually laughed. She said, Joe, <laughs> a drama demo, really? <laughs> I said, well, just listen to it. You know, there's an opening at, at NBC. She listened to it and they went, oh, my gosh. I, I would never even know it's you. You know, it was a completely different thing. They submitted it to NBC, and they actually chose me. And I, for two years, was the drama voice. But it it taught me that you can't get that comfortable, and then since then, I and I continue to to this day, I'm always looking for new avenues. I think from 2005 on, I said, you know what? I need to do game shows. I need to do in-show announcing. I need to do more radio imaging. I need to, you know, I just... Every genre that I possibly could have even just a little bit of success or opportunity. Right. So diversifying and uh, I I said I'm never going to let that happen to me again where I lose one gig and it hits me that hard. So now hopefully and I look at how I'm diversified and I do this here and I'll actually look how much work I do with this. And if I lose this and it's it'll never hurt me as much. It always hurts to lose something. Right, because you can take things personally, and it's like, hmm, it's like when you get fired in radio. I'm not going to go to that building anymore. They don't want me on their air anymore. I'm not going to park in that parking lot anymore that I did every day. You know, and, and so that always hurts. But um, financially, I try to diversify and spread myself out, and I learned from that event.
0: It's oftentimes yeah. those low, <clears throat> low moments that. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> exactly. Which
2: you is, also seem to indicate, like, uh, I guess people's perception of your career at that time. And uh, the, yeah. um, the idea that, you know, you're. I, I think we all think celebrities do better than they actually are. We,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a celebrity, but I think that, yes, I think that that's true. You never know what the reality is. You know, um, everybody has <laughs> – it's funny. If you live – Sometimes people don't live within their means and they live um, maybe above it a little bit or they live uh, based on the income that is happening right now and not understanding that maybe this income won't always be there and and that can be a problem. So uh, there were a lot of people that I heard from that said, you've got it all, you know, and here I just lost three quarters of my income and I thought, you know – how am I even going to make the mortgage? You know, on this. Of course, you know you save money, but how much? You know, can you you save? So it's that scary, you know, kind of thing. That, yeah, I I work with a woman who works
0: specifically with entertain entertainers, mm-hmm. teaching how to live on basically on average. Mm-hmm. To put it oh, so it's very so smart f- when you have your dips yes. and you have your good years. You know that you're going to consistently be able to know how much you can afford. Boy, is that smart! Yeah,
1: yeah. It's something that should be taught in school. Should be taught. Many things. Yeah, should, yeah. I think you know the one thing that I take from high school that I I'll, I'll I'm so happy I took this half year course in typing. Who would even think I would, I'm not going to be a typist? But look at what we're on keyboards constantly. So I can I'm a touch typist. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to look. I can just do that. It was the best half. Semester I you know ever did my, I got,
2: my fourth grader
1: can touch type they taught it to really her at school
2: it's like so important I know I, she's at home and I'm looking at her type and I'm like <laughs> who taught you this
0: I love it It's I such was a so great good at, at the letters that I got cocky and didn't pay attention when numbers came so I am still stuck with numbers <laughs> you know
1: what I I am exactly the same <laughs> I think what happened was I was sick that week and when they we got up to numbers. So I have to look at the numbers. It yeah. pisses me off.
2: <laughs> Can I say piss? It's okay. okay. All I
1: know is the, the middle finger is the three and the eight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go, I want to talk about... That might about... be a book.
1: <laughs> Title of a book. Is... The middle finger is... No, I don't know. the three and the eight. The three and the eight.
0: <laughs> it has nothing to do with typing whatsoever. It's a cookbook. <laughs> it's a cookbook. <laughs> Isn't that a Twilight Zone? It's a cookbook. Um, uh, let me... Let's talk about, before we wrap up, Joe Cipriano Consulting. So not only are you a performer behind the mic and on camera, but also you are a teacher and I'm assuming a mentor as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was mentored by by many on my way up, you know, people like Don LaFontaine and Danny Dark and, and those that, that really meant a lot to me and, and um, believed in me. And to have someone who believes in you helps you achieve that confidence that we were talking about before and, and trusting yourself so yeah, I, I do like to do that. I've always done it. I uh, I do. Uh, I, I go to a lot of voiceover conferences, and I'm happy to speak at those. And I have a conference coming up in in London uh, in April where I'm I'm doing the keynote. And you know, I, I'm just happy to do that. I say, listen, if you just can get me there, you don't have to pay me. Just get me there, and you know, pick up a couple of lunches and dinners. I'm happy to do it, you know, that kind of thing. Because I do like to give back, and and I came up that way from people giving back to me, and I want to do the same and and pay it forward. Um, and and so I do career consulting through Joe Cipriano Consulting, and uh, there's a website for that. I think it's JoeCiprianoConsulting.com, shockly, it and is. shockingly enough.
0: It's not Joe Cipriano's Beach Party Consulting. but
1: no, no, we had that earlier. <laughs> and, and I also, um, so I enjoy doing that. I like looking at people's careers and um, helping them plan out goals and strategies and see where they are now and maybe what they're doing that's doing that is right and what they're maybe missing. And let's talk about where do you want to go. Let's sit down and really discuss that. What do you want to do, okay? Uh, what are you doing to get there? Mm, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm doing auditions. Well, let's look at this and and come up with strategies and um and and actual you know hard goals you know that that you can and when I I don't mean hard goals I mean uh, fixed goals right you know to to achieve and um and then I also do uh, demos for actors but I only voiceover actors but I only do the stuff that. That I know, promos. I'll do in-show. I'll do radio imaging and things like that. And that's through um, Fresh Demos uh, that I do that, freshdemos.net.
0: Great. All right. Mm-hmm. So how can people find you?
1: JoeCipriano.com. All right. And uh, you can uh, – right there it says email Joe on the website. It's, a, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's an address that is hellojoe <laughs> at joecipriano.com. Uh, so there's that. There's joeciprianoconsulting.com and freshdemos.net. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we should talk about Benstown. And Benstown. How do you know Benstown? I'm one of the Benstown Fifty. Yep. You know, it kind of sounds like I told Chachi this earlier. Kind of sounds like a gang from the 1930s in from Chicago that they all they all ended up in in jail. You know, <laughs> the Benstown Fifty. We we brought them down. But yeah, I um, I became involved with Benstown because I know have known Dave Dennis. Uh, Chachi for years. I was the voice of um, Star in San Diego. That's how I know Chachi. Yes, yeah. and he was there. And uh, uh, so I, it's been a long friendship. And uh, when he got involved with Ben's Town, we talked about it. And I just wanted to um, help. I just wanted to support uh, what he was doing. Because I believed it was a new idea. We all come from uh, broadcasting where there are barter uh, situations, you know, and I just thought it was brilliant because I would bump into smaller and medium market um, stations. My rate, uh, you know, I'll go to a certain point, uh, and I'll, I'll maybe base it on uh, page counter or things like that. But there were some that were balking at it. Others, uh, I remember popping up. It was a station in Albuquerque, which I, I still do. And um, you know, the parent company said, "Who the heck is this?" guy that's getting X amount of dollars a month well that's our voiceover guy so you know it pops up on the line item you know that they're paying monthly for this guy and this idea of what we're doing with Benstown takes you off the books really mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a barter situation and it doesn't uh, show up and I thought that was brilliant and I said I definitely want to be a part of that so I have a few Benstown stations that I do wow I love it yeah awesome so I'm very supportive of of what Ben's Benstown does. you have a Benstown parking spot? I don't. Mm. Uh, wait a minute. Is there such a thing? I well, don't I'm know. But, talk well, to, excuse well, me. Well, open the door. <laughs> Shotch!
0: Josh! Is this the moment where you throw off the headphones? I'm throwing <laughs> off the headphones
1: and I'm going <laughs> to get Where's my Josh? parking spot? <laughs> I did get a nice one right up front, though. Oh, good. Very nice. By the way, my license plate... I wish I could take you out and show it and then have you guess what it is, but my license plate is the number 3. Okay, I'm writing it down. B like boy, E E, P like Peter, S like Sam.
0: 3 beeps. Three I beeps. know exactly what that is. Tell me. Um uh 3 beeps is when you oh boy, putting me on the spot. Is it ADR, it's right? it's yeah, it's ADR beep. Beep.
1: That's what you hear at the beginning of a promo. Yeah. So when you you, you start talking on the uh, imaginary fourth beep, so you hear beep, beep, beep. Sunday, it's an all-new Simpsons, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So that's my parking uh, – that's my uh, license plate. But, uh, in fact, it happened on the way here. I was on um, – what's the street right up? Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I had a car behind me, and they beeped at me three times. <laughs> <laughs> meep, meep, meep. You know, and they all go, "Oh!"
0: Right. I go, "Yeah, hi." Did you start your promo right there? Is it I just, did. Do you hello. hear a horn?
1: <laughs> right. They they beep at me three times, and then and I Tuesday I, 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 in yeah. Glendale. <laughs> right
0: exactly. It's a whole new podcast. Where the hell am I
1: going? I'm going to Benstown. <laughs>
0: All right, well, on that note, thank you so much,
1: Joe, for coming in. I appreciate it. I'm sorry I went so long. I I, I was long-winded, but thank you very much. That's okay. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to the beach party. Thank you, Alan, and your beach party. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to my co-host, Alan Ng, and to this week's guest, Joe Cipriano. You can find him online at joecipriano.com, on Facebook and Twitter as Joe Cip, that's J-O-E-C-I-P, You can check out his book, Living on Air, Adventures in Broadcasting, co-written with his wife, Anne, on Amazon and at audible.com. Alan can be found online at twitter.com slash mypalal, that's M-Y-P-A-L-A-L. You can find me, Lauren, on Twitter and Instagram at slash Lauren Kling, that's L-O-R-E-N-K-L-I-N-G. Benstown Stories is a production of Ben's Town, located in Los Angeles, California.